atmosphere is changing now For the Spirit of the Lord is here The evidence is all around That the Spirit of the Lord is here Paul talks about the spirit of adoption. I remember what it felt like when I realized that God was going to adopt me in all of my mess. But this is what, when we reach out to other communities and other areas, and we do this a lot of times with our giving, we've done that, I, I'm not yet going to share that, but we've done it by decision of the leadership just in the last 48 hours, that we knew of another church situation that was in trouble and they needed help now. We did it, we helped, and others grouped together, and we helped significantly. But it's because we, that spirit of adoptions in us, I look at them and I, I want to adopt them. I want to help them out of their mess. I want to do something. And that's why we give. So as you give, keep that in mind this morning. And this is the part that, that a lot of people take as condemnation, and I wish you wouldn't. I wish you would take it as encouragement, but if you're not tithing and, and giving, I would be asking myself why. Are you placing more importance of your stand on your standard of living than what God has for you out there? Because it's His way. You know, He put it out there. This is the way His economy works. Will you get on board or won't you? So, as you give this morning, keep that in mind. If a couple of the guys could give you an opportunity to give, we would appreciate it. Uh, as we go along, we're going to talk more of what we do outside the house because I used to think like this, that when, we get, when we're doing a good job at home, then we will release it out. I used to think like that, except mine was a little broader than that. I, I used to think, well, when we're, when we're doing a good job in Mexico, then we'll reach somewhere else. And God's began to show me that when you start to shine the light out into the darkness, then there's something begins to happen at home that makes that beam bright enough to shine. And we're shining that light as much as we can with our giving, we're shining that light. And it's increasing here at the house. <laughs> I'm so glad it is. Guys, go ahead and give them an opportunity to give. <clears throat> You're going to see me taking my time and approaching this uh, probably won't be very careful it's not my nature but I'll, I'll try to be more careful than usual uh, <clears throat> as we were singing those songs the one in particular began to resonate in me the glory is here um, I don't want to be seen as a name dropper but I was in the service on the leadership team when Rodney Howard Brown first sang that song. And yeah, I know many people picked it up and recorded it because he didn't care. But in that service, there was such a manifestation of the glory. And Rodney used to be a worship leader back in South Africa. And he began to sing that song. And I remember the manifest presence, manifest presence that began to happen in that house. People just began to drop right where they were standing. Why did they fall? Because they couldn't stand up anymore. I was kind of amused this morning as someone asked me, are you all right? Are you walking kind of funny? I was really trying to stand up. 
I'm telling you that there's something about the manifest presence of God that causes the physical, natural body to be weak. I remember just a few services later that those meetings went on for like six or eight weeks back in those years. And I remember the worship leader was rippling along and he began to sing. There's a sweet anointing in this place. Nobody had ever heard that song before. As he finished out the song, he fell off the piano bench in the floor. And he didn't move. We didn't have a we didn't have a keyboard player or worship leader at the end of the service. He, he's out in the presence of God. Something happening in him. And I don't tell those stories to try to get you to do something like that. But I tell them so you won't be surprised when something like that begins to happen. And in revisiting those places, God challenged me. I, several weeks ago to bring forth treasures from both old and new and begin to work with some of this and I'll be very frank one of the one of the uh, one of the teams that we meet with also challenged me to do this and I heard the voice of God in their challenge and I do I guess we need to release the children huh? <laughs> children can go down if they want but God began to challenge me and he, he said, I want you to go back and I want you to build the foundations for where I'm going. And that was going through my mind as we were worshiping this morning is rebuilding those foundations and, and how <clears throat> I want to make sure, make as certain as humanly possible that you understand as we go along who we're glorifying. We're glorifying our Savior. But we're going to make you aware of some things that's going to be extremely uncomfortable for you for a little while. And I'll preface that with a, with a story from previous years too. We, we were working in a, <clears throat> in a church situation in Omaha, Nebraska, and the power of God was just extremely <coughs> strong and manifest. And an older man at the end of the service, I was going to be riding some miles with him to return home and he told me, I want you to teach me to work like that. And I said, well, I'll tell you what, it, it will take a complete reschooling of your thinking, but I'll be glad to do that and began to talk to him about it. Things got real quiet in that car. And he never asked me again after that day to say anything about moving in the power of the Spirit or spiritual foundations, anything like that. Because he made a choice. So what God is challenging me to do is to give you a choice. And I don't know how far we'll get with this this morning, but we're going to take our time and we're going to lay some things out where there's no misunderstanding. And my goodness, I wish the house was full, but it's not. And God knew who was here. Isaiah 14, beginning with verse 13. Most people who believe that there is a devil and I'm talking about the scholars now, which I'm not one. I'm just a student of the Word of God, and that's it. But most of them will say that this goes from talking, <laughs> from talking about an earthly king. It begins to talk about Satan himself as the prophet begins to prophesy. And it comes down to this. And this is talking about 
Satan, you said in your heart, I will ascend to heaven. I will raise my throne above the stars of God and I will sit on the mount of assembly in the recesses of the north. Now, don't stumble over the language. Almost all of these prophetic books used common expressions of their day that would be readily understood that we don't understand in our day. And what the prophet was, he was just making a simple, using a simple common expression for being at the very top, making decisions that belong only to God out of a government like God's. The devil was saying, I'm going to be like God. I'm going to rule from the place where God rules. I'm going to receive worship like God receives worship. But then... The voice of God, nevertheless, you will be thrust down to Sheol, to the recesses of the pit. Now, let me give you what that means. That's referring to a very small, confined area of operation. God was saying to the devil, I'm going to give you a very small area of operation. It's all you're going to get. I'm going to thrust you there. I'm not going to argue with you. I'm not going to wrestle with you. I'm going to put you there. Jesus said, I saw Satan like lightning cast from the heavenlies. He rose up. God said, no way. Boom. There he was. In a very confined area of operation. Now, it had boundaries that were very definite, restrictions that were very definite. But there's an interesting byplay of language here. This word is often used for cistern. Anybody remember what cisterns were? These man-made water pits where they would, they would put fresh water in them and, and then if you didn't use it in a certain amount of time, you had to pump it out because it would get so dirty and, and, and stagnant and so forth and, and so forth. But this word was used for cisterns, but it was never used for a spring-fed well or a natural well. I'm going to put you in a place where there's no life. That's what he's telling the devil. Now, you rose up. You said you're going to do this. I'm showing you. I'm putting you somewhere. It's very restricted. You're going to have an area of operation, but there's no life in it. Jesus said the demonic will wander in dry places and come back looking. They, They will wander in a very constricted area of operation but will try to inhabit you because it's an unrestricted area of operation. And that's the only way they can express their little whiny, nasty, messy, complaining personality is if they can inhabit a human being. Is this starting to help you understand some things? Now, let's go on. Those who see you, those who comprehend who you really are, they will gaze at you, they will ponder over you, and say, is this the man that made the earth to tremble? Is this, is this the man who shook kingdoms, who made the world like a wilderness and overthrew its cities, who did not allow his prisoners to go home? They look at him as he really is in his restriction and realize without human participation, he's totally restricted. And they look at that and say, when you understand who he is, you will look at the efforts of the devil and say, is that the one that caused all this trouble for all this time? 
Well, I wanted to, <laughs> I wanted to set him where he is before I began to talk about the rest of this. In our religious world, we've thrown around the word demon possession for a long, long time. It's actually translated that way in a lot of the translations, some in the New Testament. But that word in our English means different things than it does in the original. Let me tell you what it originally means. It means to have in your hands. To have gained mastery over. It does not mean to own. I want to tell you right off the bat, Satan or his little demonic powers does not own you. But he would like you to think they do. Now, consider... If you come in and you find a thief in your home, does that thief own your home? No, he's just operating there. And there's an authority to deal with that. There's an authority down here in town. And for most of us in the Midwest, there's an authority in the drawer by the bed. There's something to deal with it. That's a spirit of Damon coming on me. <laughs> <laughs> whatever you take into your body will affect you if you take a thief into your home Chelsea and I have experienced this if you take a thief into your home he won't own that home but when he leaves he'll take a part of that home with him and you'll discover him for who he is this is all surrounding the word possession that as it is translated in the, in the New Testament. Now, whatever you take into your body will influence how you live. Good, healthy food will influence how you live. Oh, preacher, you're meddling now. Yeah. And I'll tell you why I'll be meddling some is because God has meddled in me. And I want you to see this like it is. I want you to see this like it is. Good teaching, good biblical teaching that you take in will influence how you live. Bad biblical teaching that you take into you will influence how you live. Pornography taken in will influence how you live. Drugs, alcohol. Hey, I don't care how you qualify it. If it influences the mind, it will influence how you live and it will open a door. Maybe just a crack, but it will open a door. And that's all that the enemy has to work through is open doors. Unlock doors. But remember, he's the thief. He might be in, but he don't own. And we're going to glorify the owner all the way through this thing. Now, 1 John chapter 8, verses 31 through 36. Or excuse me, John chapter 8, 31 through 36. I've got about three points here. And, and yes, I'm still free. This is not a full outline. This is just some points. <laughs> so Jesus was saying to those Jews... now. Notice, those Jews who had believed. This is in the context of believers. It's not in the context of some foreign religion. It's the context of believers. If you continue in my word, then you're truly disciples of mine. 
and you will know the truth, and the truth will make you free. Now listen, look at how they answered him. We're Abraham's descendants and have never yet been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say you will become free? Were these not the descendants of the people that God had to deliver from Egypt? But in their religious, over-spiritual thinking, we've never been a slave to anyone. Do we hear that echoed in our day saying, well, Christians can't be demonized? <laughs> Maybe. And Jesus answered them, truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who commits sin is the slave of sin. And the slave does not remain in the house forever, but the son remains forever. I want you to just look at that. The word commits is to formulate a plan to sin. This rendering of the word sin means willful, intentional, ongoing things which you know causes you to feel guilty you often qualify them as just wrong. But the truth is, whatever it is that you're qualifying as wrong, you do that because it makes you feel guilty when you do it. And that word commits means when you make a plan to break off the Word of God and to fulfill that thing that's making you feel guilty, then you're in a religious situation where you cannot be free. But if you'll instead operate as a son, we're, we're talking about in this first point of religious, willful, intentionally standing against what is true by hiding behind something like, well, I can't be demon-possessed because I'm a Christian. No, you're not demon-possessed in the sense of ownership, but you very much might be indwelt by a thief that's trying to steal, kill, and destroy. And how does Jesus, what answer does he give for this? I, I know what it is, so don't put it back. If you walk as sons, if you'll get rid of that stinking religious pride that says because of, because of what I've done, because of who I am, I can't be this and say I can be anything. And if I operate out of being a son or a daughter in, of God and realize that every day I need His instruction, if I walk like that, then guess what? I'm indwelt by another spirit. Does that mean I'm perfect? No, but it means I'm indwelt by the Spirit of God and He's taking me places and I'm walking as a child of God. And I'm not making plans to sin 30 minutes from now. Now I've asked God how to illustrate this, and so I'm going to let the Holy Spirit illustrate it. I'm not going to. But I'm talking about those things that, that when you walk into a certain place, you're making a plan already that 30 minutes from now I'm going to leave this place so I can whatever. Or... I've been putting good things into my body up to now, but right now, I'm just going to make a plan to put what I know is destroying me in my body. Because after all, I'm a Christian. It's all right. God will forgive me. But I've opened the door a crack. And guess what? Through that crack. Or this illustration will be okay. I think... Well, I can't do the hardcore internet pornography. But if I just watch that 
show on TV that's got a little suggestion of it, making a plan to open the door and get nailed. Or, I'm just going to get high one more time. I know I've been, I've been clean for three months, but man, I've had all this stuff come against me. And one more time, well, this, this one time, guess what? There it comes, slamming back, and there it is. Or, it's all right for me because I'm a Christian. But somebody standing over here struggling with it every day looks at you and says, oh, well, that must be okay because he is a Christian. So I've opened the door in their life because of what I do. And our culture around us has told us we have to live like that to keep from offending. But I'm telling you, the kingdom of God demands that you toe the line. There is a law of the Spirit in Christ Jesus. We're shouting amen now, right? You know, we need to make plans to get out of the sinning business instead of making plans to sin. Look at Jeremiah chapter 7. This one's tough on leadership, but here it is. Behold, you're trusting in deceptive words to no avail. Will you steal, murder, and commit adultery and swear falsely and offer sacrifices to Baal and walk after other gods that you have not known? Then come and stand before me in this house, which is called by name, and say, We're delivered, that you may do all of these abominations. Wow. Two more. Or, yeah, 11 and 12. Has this house, which is called my name, become a den of robbers in your sight? My goodness, does that have to do with offering? <laughs> Behold, I, even I, have seen it, declares the Lord. But now go to my place which is in Shiloh where I made my name dwell. He identifies it in the same sentence. Where I made my main name dwell at the first and see what I did to it because of the wick wickedness of my people Israel. I'm largely going to leave that passage of scripture with you. Except to say this. We are that place where his name dwells. And we are that place where his name dwells. How are we going to live with it? The agitation is already happening, isn't it? I'm telling you, the Spirit of God is not agitated. He's doing all right. He's at peace in this house. Second point. And this one is the one I wrestle with teaching, and I've wrestled with it for almost 20 years. But I'm going to put it out here. Continued dis-ease. Continued dis-ease. Doesn't have to be, but it can be because of demonic agitation. Dis-ease. We call it disease. Now before you go off in your mind, pull your mind right back for a minute. And let me ask you, whose mark is on it? The kingdom of God exists in righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. The enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy. Whose mark is on it? How dare we accuse God and say you're using the enemy's tools? 
And that's what I have a hard time teaching and preaching sometimes because it seems so hard. How dare we? If it's got the mark of stealing, killing, and destroying on it, it's not God. Luke chapter 13, verses 10 through 17. Everybody okay? Still with me? <laughs> and he was teaching in one of the synagogues on the Sabbath. And there was a woman who for 18 years had a sickness caused by a spirit. And she was bent double and could not straighten up at all. Let's continue to go on through that to 17. When Jesus saw her, he called her over and said to her, Woman, you're free from your sickness. And he laid his hands on her, and immediately she was made erect again and began glorifying God. But the synagogue official, indignant because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath, began saying to the crowd in response, There are six days in which work should be done, so come during them and get healed and not on the Sabbath day. But the Lord answered and said, you're hypocrites. Jesus was really into that politically correct thing. Yeah. You're hypocrites. Does not each of you on the Sabbath untie his ox or his donkey from the stall and lead him away to water him? This woman, a daughter of Abraham as she is. Now realize, he's confirming this woman is among those who believe who Satan has bound for 18 long years, a believer bound by the devil for eight years, should she not have been released from this bondage on any day? Because it's all the day of the Lord. Man, do you see the religious inflections there and how we've messed with this? There's a lack of strength within this woman. And... As I, as, as I study Scripture, I find that the, that the uh, use of the original word for spirit has no capitalization or, or non-capitalization. It, it's really hard to determine, but it appears to me that in this woman's own spirit was still a lack of strength. You know, I hear God saying this right now, that as we preach, there's some people being set free. There's something breaking as we're preaching this this morning. Hear me. <laughs> He's like that. But Jesus didn't condemn this woman. The picture of it is something like this, of Him standing there and she's coming all bent over because in her there's a lack of strength or something that she can't reach. And instead of condemning her, He came to her level and then straightened her up to look at Him and said, look at me. Laid hands on her and set her free. Now, he wasn't condemning her. He joined his spirit with her spirit right there. And the strength of that broke that thing. Now that's why I say I'm not condemning people who are sick. I'm saying let's live as spiritual leaders. Let's live in such a way that our spirit is strong enough when we come up against the weakness of spirit if they will accept that we can join our spirit to their spirit and they can get free and they can have that air of opportunity. They can have that window that they can breathe the breath of God and then it's up to them what they do to it. But let's be strong enough in our own lives to not have that condemnation, that guilt, that destruction working in us but we stand and say as near as I know I'm following my God I'm living the way of Christ Amen. man we need that in the American church now 
I believe that I sense an insisting nature in Jesus here saying, if you're going to believe, we join together as believers in these things. We don't stand behind condemnation. Yeah, we sense the weakness, but we go right in there. If there's a crack, let us walk through it. Let's not let the enemy walk through it. If there's a crack in that wall, let's find a believer walking through it and standing beside them and saying, come on, if you don't have faith, let's use mine. Let's walk with God. If you're not hearing God, let me hear Him. And let's walk with Him. Let's do something. Instead of having that little whiny demonic thing pull the curtain of religiosity and, and lack of relationship over himself and sit there and receive worship as we say, well, look at the sin in their life. And God probably, it's probably from God. Is it stealing, killing, and destroying? If so, then in these days it's not from God because Jesus paid the price. What did Jesus say? She's a believer. She should be loosed. Man, that's what I say. You're a believer. You ought to be loose. And it's not condemnation from you. Don't take that as negative toward you. Take that as saying, there's, uh, there's an ought to in this, and it's ought to that that power of darkness ought to let you go. And we're going to stand beside you until we see that breaking start to happen. And as soon as there's a crack in that wall, we're going to step through it with you and we're going to see something happen. But I'm telling you, you've got to let the crack in the wall be something and don't pull it back shut and say, well, I kind of like this darkness because the light's too bright. Deuteronomy 28. I'll remember before you struggle with the wording of this, he has never asked anyone's permission to be God. He can say it like he wants. And here he said it. And this is part of those statements that he made. He said, these are forever things in and around covenant. If you're not careful to observe all the words of this law which are written in this book, <laughs> to fear this honored and awesome name, the Lord your God, then the Lord will bring extraordinary plagues on you and your descendants and even severe and lasting plagues and miserable and chronic sickness. And He will bring back on you all the diseases of Egypt for which you were afraid and they'll cling to you. Also every sickness and every plague which not written in the book of this law the Lord will bring on you until you're destroyed. Then you shall be left few in number whereas you were as numerous as the stars of the heavens because you did not obey the Lord your God. And it shall come about that as the Lord delighted over you to prosper you and multiply you, so the Lord will delight over you to make you perish and destroy you. And you'll be torn from the land where you're entering to possess it. Sobering to say the least. Probably one of the most one of the least preached and most ignored passage of the scripture in the word but it's part of the forever things of covenant about following him and hearing him he said if you'll just do this then these blessings of this covenant will run all over you that's oklahoma language and oklahoma translation he says they will overtake you in the way to me that means if i just walk it out one of these days the blessing of god's going to walk all over me going to run all over me and I'm telling you that we need to know that there is a way of salvation, a way of righteousness, that it's demanded that we walk. 
But then it talks about the blood of Jesus and how the price was already paid. And folks, this is not a license to sin. It's a license to do better. It's a license to get rid. It's a license to live. The blood of Jesus. That that we read from Deuteronomy takes away all hope. Except for the precious blood of Jesus. Which gives us hope again. Because now, we don't have to know it all and, and be perfect. We just have to, in every situation, choose God as best we know it. And when we don't, come back to Him in reality saying, oh, this can't be happening to me because I'm a believer, but saying, God, I really messed up. And I've messed up for years. Would you help me? Something about the cry of a child saying, will you help me? Something about that changes everything to a father or a mother. Acts chapter 10, verse 38. These I'm just going to kind of leave hanging out there, but I want you to see them, hear them. You know of Jesus of Nazareth, how God anointed him with the Holy Spirit and with power, and how he went about doing good and healed all who were oppressed by the devil. <laughs> For God was with him. You see, you see the qualifiers? We are witnesses of all the things he did, both in the land of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They also put him to death by hanging him on the cross. Now look at uh, 19, chapter 19, Acts 19, 11 and 12. God was performing extraordinary miracles by the hand of Paul. So the handkerchiefs or aprons were even carried from his body to the sick and the diseases left them. And the evil spirits went out. That scripture has been mocked by unbelievers for a long time. I'm just, I, I, I could tell you story after story about this, but I'll tell you one or two. One, we were in Glendive, Montana, and a mother came up to me and she said, what can we do for my son? She said, he, I don't feel like kicking him out of the house, but he's into drugs and, and into all kinds of things. And, and I said, does he have a bedroom? And she said, yeah. I said, do you clean it or does he clean it? Or are you ever in there? And she said, oh, I'm in there. And folks, I knew God was telling me to do this. I took my handkerchief and gave it to her and said, put it on the inside of his pillowcase where he can't see it. And she came the next night and she said, I don't know what happened. But tonight, after I went in there this morning, he had taken that pillow and thrown it over in the corner and had covered it up with quilts. And I put it back on his bed. After the third night, she came in and she said, there's something happening to my son. The fourth night, he came and got saved. Was it me? No. Totally separate from me. You understand what I'm talking about here? That... These things just begin to happen because they're happening in the atmosphere of God's realm and God's realm becomes our realm as we walk with Him. Now let's go to Luke 7. <clears throat> when the messenger of John had left, he began to speak to the crowds about John. I might have put the wrong scripture down here. Let's see. What did you go out into the wilderness to see? A reed shaken by the wind? What did you go out to see? A man dressed in soft clothing. This is wrong. Look at 17, Leslie, and see if that... Uh, 
I can actually tell you this story as easy as we can look for it. I like that one, but that's not it either. <laughs> you think of the woman that pressed through the crowd and then asked Jesus, would you, said, my daughter is demonized and would you come and pray? And he said, why should I take of the children's bread and give it to the dogs? Now, we would get all offended at that, right? But dogs was an expression, and I'll, I'll explain more later. But there was something that was important enough to Dr. Luke. Remember, Luke was a doctor. Something was important enough that Luke wrote that she had an unclean spirit. I don't know if you've dealt with as many doctors as I have, but one of the most difficult things for doctors to recognize is the spiritual. And I know Christian doctors that will tell you that. They so involved with science that when you start talking about spirit, they struggle a little. But Dr. Luke went beyond science and he admitted the spiritual and he wrote this. He said, this Syrophoenician woman. What I want you to see out of this part is there's past, present, and future continued influence that will affect how you live. But Luke emphasized this Syrophoenician woman. Syrophoenicia was well known as the seat of paganism. That place where religious beliefs that worship other things other than the almighty God of the Bible. And this, the, the area of Phoenicia produced Jezebel. Uh, she was from there and she was of that mindset. It produces a spirit in people that's marked by pride. Marked by self-promotion, marked by manipulation, marked by control. Refuses to be led by anything other than selfish desires. Study the life of Jezebel, you'll find it. And may I say, that's not just a female thing. There's that kind of spirit, that spirit of paganism on all of the sexes if we let it happen. But one thing about Jezebel, you see, is she was demanding to have what God had not provided, although she was queen. Ahab was king. And may I also say that it takes an Ahab spirit to support a Jezebel spirit. <clears throat> so let's be careful about pointing fingers. But before we say, whew, that's not me. I, 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 I'm not into this paganism stuff. Okay, let's, let's just ask some probing questions. What about occultic movies? What about werewolves? What about zombies? What about harmless little movies promoting witchcraft? I hate those things and what I've seen them producing kids. And people think it's just a religious madness in me. But I'm telling you, if it's promoting witchcraft, you need to keep your kids away from it. What about the movies that... They're not considered pornography. They just got a little nudity and they got some overt sexuality. It celebrates loose sex, but it's not pornography. I can watch it, but my kids can't watch it. I would suggest you don't need to be watching anything your kids can't watch. Yes, that's because it's how I live my life. But I would also suggest that might be how you need to live yours. What about video games that celebrate and worship darkness? Yeah. 
and extreme violence. And they say it's harmless. But yet, it is addicting literally millions of teenagers whose parents are so thankful that they can offer their child to the gods of Dagon so they don't have to mess with them while they go out and make the kind of a lifestyle that they think is accepted in this world and let the TVs and the video games and so forth raise their kids. And then they wonder why when they're 18, 20 years old, they can't stand them and the world around them can't stand them. If you've got darkness hovering over you, I would suggest you go to God and ask Him why I have darkness hovering over me because I don't live in this present darkness. I live in this present light. Now, out of those questions, just let me say this. It's all paganism. And it opens demonic doors. Period. Now, one of the things Jesus said in this passage of Scripture that I obviously miss in what I was putting, putting down. But one of the things he said to this woman when she said that her daughter was possessed of an unclean spirit or an evil spirit or whatever. And Jesus said, why should I take what belongs to the children and give it to the dogs? Now, dogs was a common term used back in those days to indicate those that did not they, they lived an evil lifestyle. They did not embrace anything of God. They kept pushing away the conviction of God. And they just called them collectively dogs. Now we can prove that. Look at Philippians chapter 3 verse 2. Beware of the dogs. And he defines it. Beware of the evil workers. And beware of the false circumcision. Those that say they're clean and not. Revelation 22 verse 15. Outside are the dogs. Talking about the holy city now. Outside are the dogs and the sorcerers and the immoral persons and the murderers and the adulterers and any, everyone who loves and practices lying outside the city. Outside are these people. Now, they, they could not have been talking about uh, Rover or what do they call him? Fifi? Fido? They could not have been talking about that. But he was saying all of these people that are responding to an unclean spirit. We don't give them much because it belongs to the children. It belongs to those who have become as a little child and, and realize that it's this way that we enter the kingdom. It's those that realize that there's something so desperately wrong with us before we know God. That's so, so desperately wrong with us that He had to die in my place because something was so wrong with me, so foul in me, that I couldn't even be saved without Him. I couldn't even come back to Him without Him shedding the blood because there was not a clean enough drop of blood in me to provide the sacrifice. And he, uh, but he went ahead and this, this woman accepted what he had to say. And now she became as the children because as soon as she made the statement of faith, but she accepted that she was one of those. She accepted that she had been pulled away. She accepted. And he said, go and your daughter will now be free. Think of this. Think of this. You get free and respond to God and you might just come home and your son will be free. You might just come home and your daughter will be free. Because it affects us past, present, and continued influence. And it comes out kind of like this. Well, my family's always been this way. 
And it comes out saying, well, men are blank. I want to tell you something. Men are nothing blank. Men are different. Every man is different. Every man reacts different. And every man doesn't fall into any category. Any, every woman does not fall into any category. Don't buy into the culture that says that women are like this and men are like this. As they come to Jesus and respond to Him and learn, we become like Him. More and more like Him. And as we see Him, surprise, surprise, we're going to be like Him. The more you see Him, the more like Him you're going to be. People want to put that off in the rapture somewhere. No, as He reveals Himself to us walking with Him, we become like Him. and We're amazed. We get in a situation that before it angered us, but now we just react like Him. Before we didn't have any answer for it, now we just react like Him. Before we were afraid of the darkness, now we release the light. We're like Him. And don't tell me I'm like the men of this culture. I'm not. Unless I choose to be. Don't tell me that my wife's going to behave in a certain way because she's a woman. She's not. Unless she chooses to or unless I choose to push her to that. You see, you've got to believe in the Messiah before you walk free. And the Messiah came to set His people free. He is the Christ. The King of all. He is the Christ, the one who anoints His people. He is the Christ, the anointing itself. So this presence that comes in this room and begins to manifest, it's Christ. That thing that bubbles up within you and begins to kick at the walls of your, of your uh, demonic influence, that's Christ. Don't, don't rebuke the devil when those walls are starting to be kicked out. Don't rebuke him. Let Christ have his way. I'm, I would suggest that you the presence of Christ and you causes you more trouble than anything else. Because there's something clean in you that wants to come out. There's something that's light in you that wants to shine. There's something that's able in you that wants to empower you. And that's the Spirit of Christ. And the more you let it happen, the more you're going to be free and the more you, people are going to come to the freedom and the more you're going to release what is in you and you're going to find out that it's affecting homes and it's affecting all kinds of things. And it's simply because you got free and now the spirit of adoption is flowing through you and beginning to pull this one in to pull that one in and to pull another one in and beginning to give them the good news. Hey, the good news is not that I can pray a prayer and miss going to hell. The good news is that I'm probably already living in hell if I don't submit to Jesus and I need to submit to Him and let the world know I've got a King. And if I've got a King, the light will shine forth from me. Hallelujah. As the worship team things behind me. I want to give you an opportunity. We'll join with you this morning. And I'm telling you that as you begin to walk forward, here's why sometimes I say walk forward. That breaks something. I've watched it in a lot of services where someone would be wrestling with something and they walked out and when they got in the aisle, the power of God would hit them and they would come to the front with a different expression on their face. Why? Because God set them free. God set them free. There's a spirit of freedom in this house. There's a spirit of a lordship in this house. But let me help you understand. I'm not suggesting that He become Lord of your life so you can go to heaven someday. I'm suggesting that He becomes Lord of your life so that you can change. And so that you can begin to live a different life here. So that you can be not so miserable as you've been in the past. So that the presence of God can break through in you. 
and begin to shine forth from you and begin to cause something to happen in you. God's making a pull for people. But it's people that are purified. I still hear the Spirit of God echoing this. How dare we call it His house and then say it's okay to not be free. Man, if it's not bringing forth life in you, then it's not Him. Just simply not Him. Does that mean you're demon-possessed? Nope. He don't own you. He might be visiting, but we got a way to get the visitors out. We don't have it here in a drawer beside the bed, but we got it here. We got the presence. We got, we got the power of God. We got the Holy Spirit.